This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. And today we're talking to Roberto Olivardia, who is a clinical psychologist and lecturer at the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and also has a private practice in the Boston area. He, one of his areas of expertise is in what's termed body dysmorphic disorder, which is a uh, preoccupation with how your body looks and, and trying to uh, alter that, but not in healthy ways. It does intersect with ADHD um, in a number, for a number of reasons, and we'll be talking um, particularly about that, so looking at some resources that can help anybody try to figure that out. So, Roberto, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, and I understand you that there isn't a lot of um, general knowledge or general information about this uh, issue out there, but you wrote an article for Attitude Magazine um, about it. How does the how does BDD um, show up in ADHD, or how is the ADHD kind of a risk factor for it? Sure. That uh, my interest in this actually comes from uh, my area of specialty as I work particularly in the area of body dysmorphic disorder, body image issues, and specialize in the treatment of boys and men with eating disorders, such as anorexia, nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. And through my clinical practice, have seen uh, this high prevalence of uh, boys and men with ADHD who also have uh, body dysmorphic disorder, or BDD as we call it for short, or eating disorders, and looked into the scientific literature, and there was there's a number of studies that have been published on the correlation of ADHD with binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, uh, but not on, on BDD. And, and just to be clear that what we're talking about with body dysmorphic disorder is that it is a psychiatric diagnosis that's characterized by a preoccupation with a body part or parts in mm. which the individual thinks that that body part is ugly, is defective in some way, is deformed, despite the fact that uh, other people and, and objectively it is not sort of seen in that way. So these are not individuals who say, oh, I don't like my, the way my nose looks. They say, I hate the way my nose looks. It looks alien. It looks disgusting. I'm totally repulsing people. I should kill myself because I look this ugly. Mm. And these are individuals that... Or even if, let's say, they have a particular flaw in their appearance, such as uh, a man who might have thinning hair, he doesn't see it in the same way that he would see other men whose hair is thinning. He might say, hmm. well, they, they look okay, but I look just disgusting. Like, you'll often hear words like gross, repulsive, disgusting, ugly. So it's really on, on the extreme. 
It's a very large extreme, exactly. And these mm-hmm. are individuals who, if they have the financial resources, are often presenting themselves in cosmetic surgery clinics before they come in to see a therapist like myself that specializes mm-hmm. in BDD. Um, lots of people who have those resources are, there's a term called a polysurgery addict, people who are basically huh. addicted to cosmetic surgery. And you'll find that a number of people who fall in that category have body dysmorphic disorder. Um, it has one of the higher suicide rates of psychiatric illnesses. About mm. 20% of people with BDD commit suicide. Wow. It is a very, very serious, very tormenting diagnosis yeah. that affects 1% to 2% of the general population. So it's, it's out there. And contrary to what people might think, it is, uh, is equally distributed amongst genders, meaning that huh. 50% of men and 50% of women, uh, I'm sorry, 50% of individuals with BDD are male and 50% of people with hmm. BDD are female. So it's not um, like eating disorders, which although Again, you know, I specialize in the treatment of boys and men. There are a lot more males out there than people think that struggle with mm-hmm. eating disorders. Right. Um, but as far as BDD, it is an equal, equal. gender distribution. So what are the, the factors in ADHD that may, I guess, predispose someone to the BDD issues? We talked some about the, the failure and low self-esteem being one of the drivers Absolutely. The, the, the patients that I see that the certain risk factors are that individuals who have severe executive functioning deficits who basically are used to a way of living where they put in so much work into things and they're not getting back the feedback, you know, that they, that, that is sort of commensurate with the work that they're putting in. And so they experience a lot of failure in their lives. And as a result, Mm -hmm. it affects their self-esteem. It affects their ability to feel like they're good at something. And so many of my patients who fall in this category say to themselves, it's sort of this negative thought spiral of, I'm not smart. I'm not going to be the smartest. I'm not uh, the most athletic. I might not be the most socially with it individual, all of which ADHD can sort of affect all of those venues. But mm-hmm. if I can be the most beautiful, the, the most handsome, the most muscular, um, the, you know, the person that's Fastest. the most attractive, that mm-hmm. can buoy my self-esteem. That, that becomes my identity because I'm, as far as other things are concerned, I feel worthless. And mm-hmm. so... It, it makes sense in the sense that then the attention to appearance, the attention to weight, to all of those things become that much more uh, important to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the case of, of our bodies, I mean, there are things, particularly if you take eating disorders, for example, you know, when, when I've treated individuals with ADHD and anorexia, for example, that they will say, you know, there's something about you know, when you're restricting and then you step on a scale and the number is lower, it is yeah. a very cause and effect relationship. Exactly. That mm-hmm. feedback is so concrete. And the brain, the ADHD brain craves that. We crave that kind of feedback. And it's almost like the brain isn't making a discrimination at that point of, wait a minute, but this is unhealthy feedback. It yeah. just knows it as feedback. And it's incredibly rewarding. And mm-hmm. so when, when the brain gets that, 
it wants more of that. And in, on top of that, if people with ADHD do get attention for, wow, you're, you're thin or you're, you're, you know, you're really fast muscular. And- right, you're fast. Or, you know, I, I treat men who take anabolic steroids and compulsively lift weights, you know, at the gym. And they, you know, the feeling of I'm putting in hours at the gym and I'm getting all this feedback and people are noticing mm-hmm. that is incredibly rewarding when you come from life experiences in which you feel like you're overlooked. And certainly uh, something that's a a very, I think a very common background belief and uh, driver to behaviors in people with ADD is that feeling of I'm not good enough. Uh, And it may not have been, you know, specifically parents criticizing, but Everything from yeah, some things about parents or um, teachers. You're you're lazy. You're not motivated. You're not trying hard enough, and so this belief um, grows and and takes root there. Of I'm not good enough, and people I think either then work harder, um, stay up later to do homework and things like that. I'm going to prove I can get an A or get into this really prestigious college, or they give up and give, escape into addictions and depression and things like that. And it sounds like the BDD is in a way an escape, and it's also one where they get that instant gratification of, wow, I trained for this 5K, I finished it, and I can do better. And so they get into overtraining. Plus there's the, just with exercise, yeah, you feel better, there's increased dopamine so maybe you can focus better um, so there are a lot of different things I can see that that fit in with ADD oh absolutely and you know and I can tell you I mean just personally as someone with ADHD that <coughs> excuse me the analogy you mentioned about the running you know, I run in races and you know when I completed a half marathon it was an exhilarating feeling, you know, the feeling of like, wow, like I actually did this. Like I never thought, you know, if you had told me five years prior to that, that I'd be running a half marathon, I would have thought you were crazy that, and the fact that I trained for this and it paid off and I was able to do it and I recovered very quickly from it, you know, in in Mm -hmm. this way, Mm -hmm. it was, it was a high, you know, it was a real high. And I could easily see just like anything that could sort of be, an addictive sort of, you know, draw that it mm-hmm. could be something like, well, then let's go, you know, let's to the next thing do and, some more. and let's do some more. And not that there's anything wrong, let's say with running a marathon, provided that you're doing it healthily, that you're eating well and that all other parts of your life are in check or in order. Yeah. And the patients that I work with are patients that let's say might be working out at the gym four hours a day and they're not attuning to their other responsibilities in life because they don't feel it's going to matter, that they're not Mm -hmm. successful at Mm -hmm. those things anyway. And this is the thing that they're funneling their whole sense of identity into, which is very problematic. And then they're going to run into the kind of the negative feedback part because then they aren't spending the time with family or on their career or whatever, so they aren't doing as well there, so they get more of that failure. But boy, I can be a success at the gym or with running or being thin. And so they each, uh, that behaviors drive two different spirals, kind of. 
Um, oh, absolutely. And, and where it can really, I mean, a lot of times when I see patients who engage in these kind of behaviors that where they come to my office is when, let's say, they've had an injury and they can't work mm, out at the gym. Mm-hmm. And then they get suicidal and very depressed because to them, that's, their, that's the only thing that has made them sort of superficially felt valuable or, or yeah. worthwhile. Um, that, uh, that, that's the thing that sort of, and people have told them this isn't healthy and they thought, well, you don't understand. You know, I yeah. know what's making me feel good. And similarly, you know, with um, something like anorexia, that a lot of times it's when people realize, wait a minute, you know, I'm dieting down now to, you know, I've seen men and boys who are dangerous, I mean, literally on the verge of death, you know, from the eating disorder, and then think, you know, at some point, the insight finally comes in, not all the time, but that says, wait a minute, you know, I'm less happy at 80 pounds than I was 20 pounds ago when I was 100 pounds. and. So wait a minute, something is wrong here. Something is very faulty, it, you know, in the thinking. And and I, the two things I think of that, again, are kind of ADHD characteristics. One is that poor uh, internal awareness, almost like the poor time awareness, but there's a, a not a good um, self-awareness of one's behaviors or that, oh, this really isn't a healthy pattern, which gets around to the executive function, um, things that don't work well with ADD. Absolutely. That, you know, in, in the field of eating disorders, you know, we see that individuals with eating disorders in general, with or without ADHD, have what's called poor interoceptive awareness, which is what you were referring, this sort of internal awareness of, am I hungry? Am I satisfied? Am I tired? Like all of the cues that we have to, in a sense, be attuned enough to our body to pick mm-hmm. up on. And people with ADHD have poor interoceptive awareness. We're individuals that are externally oriented. We're oriented by what stimulates us on the outside. And so it's very easy. We see all the time people with ADHD, for example, who can hyper-focus for hours and hours and hours and don't Mm -hmm. realize that they haven't eaten in 12 hours. They haven't gotten up to go to the bathroom in 12 hours because they're so locked into a task. And then what happens is once that task ends, they're just starving, you know, or they realize they're about to, you know, lose control of their bladder, you know, in their pants. Yeah. Um, so when you have people with ADHD and these eating dysregulations or, or um, body image issues, it's like a double whammy, you know, in the mm-hmm. sense that they aren't as attuned to their hunger cues, their pain cues, you know, with individuals with ADHD who engage in very unhealthy exercise behavior, for example, they're not attentive to the fact that their their arms, their legs, like all the the, the sort of pain cues that someone would get to say, whoa, okay, I'm going to end this workout right now because my body's in pain. They don't feel that until after the fact, maybe the next day. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, Mm -hmm. their brain says, well, you know, no pain, no gain. Maybe this pain is an indicator that I'm doing something right. And And if I work out harder, then I won't be, have as much pain when I do that much. So exactly. Or 
Right, or the pain is quickly eclipsed by the visual that if, let's say, they look in the mirror, a lot of people with BDD, for example, engage in excessive mirror checking. So they're always looking in the mirror for that visual feedback, that visual data. So if you're looking in the mirror and you see that your bicep is getting bigger, it's almost as if all that pain is now out the window because that incredible high, that sort of dopamine elevation that you get from, wow, like this you know, working out has resulted in a bigger bicep or six pack of abs, then it's almost as if that pain is forgotten. And Mm -hmm. so it's almost like the ADD brain is just going towards the shiny part of it and not sort of the darker part of it. So um, that's, say, uh, a family member um, or friend notices, boy, you know, you're really out there talking about things being disgusting and gross or um, losing a lot of weight or one thing or another, hearing about the four hours at the gym, I uh, would think that just kind of confronting that person or saying, gee, don't you think that's a problem, probably isn't going to make a change. So what can, say, a, a family member do? How can they approach this um, in terms of helping the spouse or child uh, or parent deal with that? Sure. That I, I think it, it starts a conversation with what you're observing. So, for example, if you're saying, you know, I noticed that, you know, you spend a lot of time at the gym or I noticed that you don't eat much or that you skip a lot of meals. I've noticed that uh, you've lost a lot of weight in a way, and it's important to say, in a way that doesn't look very healthy because people with anorexia, when they hear that they've lost a lot of weight, they equate they that as a good thing. Yeah. So you want to say it looks unhealthy, like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really look good in some ways. So first sort of just share your observation, and then it comes down to thinking about it in these four categories. One is basically comment on how whatever behavior they're engaging with is getting in the way of either their occupational functioning, their relationships, or other things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. Because in, in the end of the day, people who engage in, in these body image obsessive behaviors, eating disorders, ultimately what they want is what we all want. They want to feel confident. They want to connect with people. They're not you know, exercising for the sake of just being a size zero or having big muscles just for the sake of having big muscles. They're looking for connection. These are individuals who are, who, you know, are either lonely or anxious or depressed and and they're looking for something to give them some self-esteem ultimately. So it's a currency of connection. And so Mm -hmm. you can point out to them to say, you know, it's interesting that you're at the gym and you, you, I don't, you don't have any time left for your friends or your family, that it's helping them point out almost the, the kind of irony of these kind of behaviors. And I've had yeah. many patients who, I had a patient I remember many years ago who would be at the gym five hours a day. He, he was in so much pain after the gym that he couldn't even move. I mean, literally, oh, he would just uh-huh. go to his apartment and and then he would got addicted to painkillers because the pain was so great, yep. and then he became an addict on heroin. I mean, it just became this terrible cycle. I, and I said, what, what are you doing all of this for? I mean, really, what? And he said, well, you know, to, 
I, I want to be attractive and I want to, you know, get chicks mm-hmm. was his actual quote. And I said, well, but let's think about this. I mean, you're not in a position where you're going, you're not putting yourself out there. The only place you are of putting yourself out is at the gym. Secondly, you're in so much pain that you can't, couldn't even go out on a date, you know, after yeah. that, with that kind and of behavior. And you're feeling so bad about yourself if, let's say, you don't do this obsessive workout routine. And he didn't know, even know how to relate to anyone because his world was the gym and muscles yeah. and protein supplements and all of that. And when he realized that, he realized, wow, like it's almost you know, it became this moment that, well, of course, that's obvious, but it isn't to individuals who are yeah, engaged when you're in this in, cycle. Yeah, in the middle of, so, of that. Yeah, and so when you can point out to people, look, you know, this is, it's, I feel like, I'm, I'm seeing that you're not going out with your friends as much. You're not having as much fun. Or when you can't get to the gym or um, if you, let's say, you know, if, if somebody ate more than they wanted to for a holiday and they were depressed because they put on a couple pounds, yeah, you know, that, yeah. that's, you know, I notice you get really upset and I don't know. That's just something. It seems like something has sort of a power over you because the yeah. most important thing to say is that, of course, eating healthy and exercise are wonderful things, that it's not about, because a lot of times these individuals hear feedback and they think that what you're telling them is that it's okay to be overweight and to be a couch potato. And that's not what we're saying, that um, that we, of course, want to eat healthy, but too much, even of a good thing, is not not good. There's a balance. And people with ADD certainly um, are not likely to have a balance of work and relationships, um, any of those kinds of things. One of the things that strikes me that's really important in terms of someone making just observations is to not follow it up with any kind of a judgment statement in terms of, and you know that's unhealthy, and you should do something different or whatever. And, you know, if you keep doing this, then you're going to end up one thing or another that that has to not even be part of it. Even if the person giving the feedback has that fear that those things may happen, don't say it then because it's going to get in the way of what you really want to do. So you mentioned there were four, um, four aspects of four things. So that objective, observations is one right so sort of commenting on um, you know this is affecting your functioning Um, the other thing would be um, basically how much of their self-esteem or self-worth is based upon this and I like what you said and I agree with it because it's not so much a judgment is more just saying wow that must be hard to feel like you have to be a certain size or exercise a certain amount or be a certain weight in order to feel acceptable in order that's hard like almost mm-hmm. empathizing with the person and yeah. saying like these are people who are hurting these are not people who are vain you know there's a big like particularly with body dysmorphic disorder people with BDD get accused of being vain because they're mirror checking and this is not vanity these are not narcissistic individuals that say oh I love the way I look so I'm gonna look in the mirror as many times a day they're looking in the mirror because they're so fearful that they look disgusting in that moment Mm -hmm. and so I would empathize you know with that and say it's hard like this other category of 
how much of your self-worth and self-esteem is based upon that. Because healthy self-esteem is something that we want, you know, based upon lots of different things, you know. But particularly, we want our, our self-esteem to be based upon things that are more sort of um, crystallized in our life, you know, our intelligence, our ability to relate to people, things mm-hmm. that pretty much are going to be the same throughout our life. Body image and our appearance is probably one of the worst things to base yeah. a large percentage of our self-esteem because guess what? We're all going to get old. <laughs> We're and all going to get wrinkled. Yeah, it's all going to change. Yeah. It's all going to change. And if you're the bulk of your self-esteem, and it's not to say some of your self-esteem can't be on the way you look, sure, but if the bulk of it is on the way you look, it's headed for disaster because mm-hmm. we can't, you know, and I see this, you know, in, in men I treat who are in their 50s that cannot work out the way they did when they were in their 20s. Mm-hmm. They just can't. Their bodies just cannot sustain that. And it's devastating to them. So looking at that, you know, in, in that area, the other thing is any is the other category is sort of what behaviors are they doing that are actually unhealthy? Because again, individuals, let's say with anorexia, they're saying, well, I'm not eating any fat and fat is unhealthy. So I'm doing something that's healthy. Most anorexic patients I work with really feel that they're healthier than the average person. Yes, I've I've heard that. And in individual, you know, men that I work with who inject anabolic steroids in their body, which Mm. is extremely unhealthy, but they see it as, well, this is what I do, and and it makes me go to the gym, and I'm muscular and fit. That's healthier, but it's not healthier. Um, No, and certainly not to do the injection part. Wait a second. That's way outside the norm. Uh, Absolutely. Bringing someone's attention to the fact most people don't, don't work out for four hours, and they certainly don't inject steroids. Absolutely. And and there are lots of, you know, happy people that are, you can be happy and be overweight and you could be happy and, you know, that it's not that um, the idea also is that individuals who fall into these categories, they look at these things somewhat simplistically and, and people with ADHD particularly, I find that it's almost like we, we like the kind of instant answer, the instant gratification. Yep, yep. So if we're this weight or if we look this way, then all of our world's problems will be solved. Will be we, blessed. We know, right, and we know that doesn't happen. So pointing out to someone, you know, I notice that you're working out four hours a day, and that's really, that's just, I worry about how healthy that is for your joints and for your mm-hmm. bones. So it's not saying you're wrong, you're unhealthy. Yes. You're basically sharing I statements. Like, I'm yes. concerned that this is, because no one can argue with you being concerned about something. Mm-hmm. The argument mm-hmm. can be about, you know, if you're saying, oh, my gosh, you're crazy for doing that, or we don't want to yeah. shame people for these kind of Exactly, behaviors. exactly. As soon as that gets in, then the person escapes into what they've been doing because that shame feeling you want to stay away from. And these... Uh, Excessive behaviors are, uh, in lots of ways, that escape the shame. Um, Absolutely. And and then the last category is the body image piece, that really getting a sense of asking someone, you know, how, when you look in the mirror, you know, how do you see yourself? And we know when someone is sort of at risk, when the way they see themselves is markedly different than how, you know, knowing, of course, that everybody has, you know, their own perception. But again, people who struggle with eating disorders, with body dysmorphic disorder, they see themselves in ways that only they see themselves as. Yeah other people clearly just don't see. 
it's that extreme. So what resources are there uh, either for someone who has now realizes, wait a second, this is out of control, or for a family member in terms of um, getting professional help or even just getting more information about it? Yes, yeah, so I would definitely um, that you know first just even and I appreciate us having this conversation because body dysmorphic disorder in particular is still uh, vastly under uh, under recognized that yes. despite the fact that it's been you know in the DSM uh, and it's been out there there's uh, an abundance of research it still is misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed yeah and um, and completely missed and and uh, absolutely and if you don't know what you're looking for you probably aren't going to find it absolutely and so there's a wonderful organization called the International Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Foundation or the IOCDF they're based here in Boston where I'm located and they are the umbrella organization for obsessive compulsive uh, disorders and obsessive compulsive spectrum disorders and body mm -hmm. dysmorphic disorder is considered an obsessive compulsive spectrum disorder and there are resources on their website of uh, people particularly who are looking for resources for body dysmorphic disorder, for information. They have a wonderful treatment provider database where you can plug Great. in your zip code and it can tell you who within a certain mile radius specializes in BDD. Mm -hmm. So it is, um, you can check off BDD as one of the, the indicators of the different um, OCD-related yeah. spectrum disorders. Um, eating disorders, this, similarly, you know, go to someone who specializes in eating disorders, that if you have a clinical eating disorder, it's, um, you really need someone who has specialized training in that. And sure. as we know, you know, you and I know the importance of working with someone who truly gets ADHD, because, yeah. and, it, and it unfortunately might not be the same provider that's an expert right. in that's both the, ADHD the thing and I've eating certainly, disorders. Yeah, seen with all kinds of counseling, if the, the therapist doesn't understand ADHD, it, which is certainly wound into all that, uh, it's probably not going to work too well. So finding uh, kind of filtering that treatment provider directory into and or just calling someone, what do you understand about ADHD? Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've had, you know, patients where they might have a, a great eating disorder specialist or BDD specialist, and then they'll reach out. And sometimes, if, you know, if they're in the area, I'll be, I'll, I mean, I do work in, in all of those fields, but I could also do the consultation just on the ADHD piece. And sometimes mm -hmm. even just meeting with someone for a consultation on the ADHD piece and having that person speak to your other treatment provider and yeah. say, look, just and to let you know, this is the ADHD is, lens. Yeah. How it's going to work. how we understand this, exactly. And especially treatment psychopharmacologically, you know, the mm -hmm. you know, stimulant medication has usually been vastly contraindicated in the treatment of eating disorders. I mean, eating disorders, right, right. Um, psychiatrists are very wary of prescribing stimulants the, the because stimulants. they're stimulants and they're appetite suppressants. And, but the data, and there are multiple research studies that have been done on this, great meta-analysis studies that have looked at, for someone with ADHD who also has bulimia or binge eating disorder, stimulant medication is, can be can, extremely helpful. Yeah, and, not helpful be, and not just helpful because it's suppressing their appetite, because it's not suppressing, it's no, actually regulating no. their appetite. And it, it's helping some of that executive function stuff, 
Well, unfortunately, we have to uh, stop our conversation now just for time limits, but uh, it's certainly been a great conversation about a um, misunderstood and I think under-noticed uh, problems and, and quite serious. If 20% of people with BDD commit suicide, this is a, a very serious thing. So, yeah. uh, Roberto Olivardia, thank you so much for your observations and uh, information about this important subject. We'll have written uh, references on the website for ADHD Focus so that you can get this information and see it on the website. And for now, this is Dr. David Pomeroy signing off of ADHD Focus. We hope you've enjoyed the show and come back for other good topics related to ADHD.